Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Second half of Chapter 109. Reflections. Harry put on the cloak of invisibility at Professor Quirrell's orders to stop the man who shall believe himself to be schoolmaster from seeing you. Wearing the cloak or no, you will stand in range of the mirror yourself. If a gush of lava comes forth, you will also burn. I feel that much symmetry should apply. Professor Quirrell pointed to a spot near the right of the door through which they'd entered the room, before the mirror and well back of it. Harry, wearing the cloak, went to where Professor Quirrell had pointed him and did not argue. It was increasingly unclear to Harry whether both riddles dying here would be a bad thing, even with hundreds of other student hostages at stake. For all of Harry's good intentions, he'd shown himself so far to be an idiot and the returned Lord Voldemort was a threat to the entire world. Though either way, Harry couldn't see Dumbledore doing the lava thing. Dumbledore was probably sufficiently angry at Voldemort to discard his usual restraint, but lava wouldn't permanently stop an entity that Dumbledore believed to be a discorporate soul. Then Professor Quirrell pointed his wand, and a shimmering circle appeared around where Harry was standing on the floor. This, Professor Quirrell said, would soon become a greater circle of concealment, by which nothing within that circle could be heard or seen from the outside. Harry would not be able to make himself apparent to the false Dumbledore by taking off the cloak, nor by shouting, You will not cross the circle once it is active. That would cause you to touch my magic, and while confounded, I might not remember how to halt the resonance that would destroy us both. And further, since I do not want you throwing shoes. Professor Quirrell made another gesture, and just within the greater circle of concealment, a slight shimmer appeared in the air, a globe-shaped distortion. This barrier will explode if touched, by you or by other material thing. The resonance might lash at me afterward, but you would also be dead. Now tell me in Parseltongue that you do not intend to cross the circle or take off your cloak, or do anything at all impulsive or stupid. Tell me you will wait quietly here, under the cloak, until this is over. Harry repeated this back. Then Professor Quirrell's robes became black, tinged with gold, such robes as Dumbledore might wear upon a formal occasion, and Professor Quirrell pointed his own wand at his head. Professor Quirrell stayed motionless for a long time, still holding his wand to his head. His eyes were closed in concentration. And then Professor Quirrell said, Confundus. At once, the expression of the man standing there changed. He blinked a few times as though confused, lowering his wand. A deep weariness spread over the face Professor Quirrell had worn. Without any visible change, his eyes seemed older, the few lines in his face calling attention to themselves. His lips were set in a sad smile. Without any hurry, the man quietly walked over to the mirror as though he had all the time in the world. 
He crossed into the mirror's range of reflection without anything happening, and stared into the surface. What the man might be seeing there, Harry could not tell. To Harry, it seemed that the flat, perfect surface still reflected the room behind it, like a portal to another place. Ariana, breathed the man. Mother, father, and you, my brother, it is done. The man stood still, as if listening. Yes, done. Voldemort came before this mirror and was trapped by Merlin's method. He is only one more sealed horror now. Again the listening stillness. I would that I could obey you, my brother, but it is better this way. The man bowed his head. He is denied his death forever. That vengeance is terrible enough. Harry felt a twinge, watching this, a sense that this was not what Dumbledore would have said. It seemed more like a straw man, a shallow stereotype. But then, this wasn't the real Aberforth spirit either. This was who Professor Quirrell imagined Dumbledore imagined Aberforth was. And that doubly reflected image of Aberforth wouldn't notice anything amiss. It is time to give back the Philosopher's Stone, said the man who thought he was Dumbledore. It must go back into Master Flamel's keeping now. Listening Stillness No! Master Flamel has kept it safe these many years from all who would seek immortality, and I think it will be safest in his hands. No, Aberforth, I do think his intentions are good. Harry couldn't control the tension that was running through him like a live wire. He was having trouble breathing. Imperfect. Professor Quirrell's Confundus charm had been imperfect. The underlying personality of Professor Quirrell was leaking through and seeing the obvious question. Why was it okay for Nicholas Flamel to have the stone if immortality was so awful? Even if Professor Quirrell conceptualized Dumbledore as being blind to the question, Professor Quirrell hadn't included a clause in the Confundus saying that Dumbledore's image of Aberforth wouldn't think of it. And all of this was ultimately a reflection of Professor Quirrell's own mind, an image from within the intelligence of Tom Riddle. Destroy it? Maybe. I am not sure it can be destroyed, or Master Flamel would have done it long since. I think many times he has regretted making it. Aberforth, I promised him, and we are not so ancient or so wise ourselves. The Philosopher's Stone must go back into the keeping of the one who made it. And Harry's breath stopped. The man was holding an irregular chunk of scarlet glass in his left hand the size perhaps of Harry's thumb from fingernail to the first joint. The sheened surface of the scarlet glass made it seem wet. The appearance was of blood, suspended in time and made into a jagged surface. Thank you, my brother. Is that what the stone should look like? Does Professor Coral know what the true stone should look like? 
will the mirror give back the real stone under these conditions, or make an imitation and return that? And then... No, Ariana, the man said, smiling gently. I fear I must go now. Be patient, my dearest. It will be soon enough that I join you in truth. Why? Why, I am not sure why I must go. When I hold the stone, I am to step aside from the mirror and wait for Master Flamel to contact me. But I am not sure why I need to step aside from the mirror to do that. (sighs) Ah, I am getting old. It is well this dreadful war ended when it did. I suppose there is no harm if I speak to you for a time, my dearest, if you wish it so. A headache was starting behind Harry's eyes. Some part of Harry was trying to send a message about not having breathed in a while, but no one was listening. Imperfect. Professor Quirrell's confundus charm had been imperfect. Professor Quirrell's image of Dumbledore's image of Ariana wanted to talk to Dumbledore, and maybe didn't want to wait because Professor Quirrell knew on some level that there wasn't really an afterlife. And the previously implanted impulse to leave after getting the stone wasn't standing up to riddle Ariana's arguments. And then Harry felt himself become very calm. He started breathing again. Either way, there wasn't much Harry could do about it. Professor Quirrell had stopped Harry from intervening. Well, Professor Quirrell was welcome to reap the consequences of that decision. If the consequences caught Harry as well, so be it. The man who thought he was Dumbledore was mostly nodding patiently, sometimes replying to his dearest sister. Sometimes the man cast an uneasy look to one side as if feeling a strong impulse to go, but suppressing that impulse with the great patience and politeness and concern for his sister that Professor Quirrell imagined Albus Dumbledore having. Harry saw it the instant the confundus wore off and the man's expression changed, becoming again the face of Professor Quirrell. And in the same instant the mirror changed no longer showing Harry the reflection of the room, showing instead the form of the real Albus Dumbledore, as though he were standing just behind the mirror and visible through it. The real Dumbledore's face was set and grim. Hello, Tom, said Albus Dumbledore. End Chapter 109 Chapter 110 Reflections, Part 2 The grimness on Albus Dumbledore's face lasted only an instant before giving way to bewilderment. Queerness, what? And then there was a pause. Well, I do feel stupid. I should hope so, Professor Quirrell said easily. If he had been at all shocked himself at being caught, it did not show. A casual wave of his hand changed his robes back to a professor's clothing. Dumbledore's grimness had returned and redoubled. There I am, searching so hard for Voldemort's shade, 
never noticing that the defense professor of Hogwarts is a sickly, half-dead victim, possessed by a spirit far more powerful than himself. I would call it senility if so many others had not missed it as well. Quite. Professor Quirrell lifted his eyebrows. Really, am I that hard to recognize without the glowing red eyes? Oh, yes, indeed. Your acting was perfect. I confess myself utterly deceived. Quirinus Quirrell seemed... What is the term I am looking for? Ah, oh, yes, that is the word. He seemed... sane. Professor Quirrell chuckled. <laughs> he looked for all the world as though the two of them were just having a casual conversation. I never was insane, you know. Lord Voldemort was just another game for me, the same as Professor Quirrell. Albus Dumbledore did not look like he was enjoying a casual chat. I thought you might say that. I regret to inform you, Tom, that anyone who can bring himself to act the part of Voldemort is Voldemort. Ah, said Professor Quirrell, raising an admonishing finger. There is a loophole in that reasoning, old man. Anyone who acts the part of Voldemort must be what moralists call evil. On this we agree. But perhaps the real me is completely, utterly, irredeemably evil in an interestingly different fashion from what I was pretending with Voldemort. I find that I do not care. Then you must think yourself to be rid of me very soon. How interesting. My immortal existence must depend on discovering what trap you have set and finding a way to escape from it as soon as possible. But let us pointlessly delay to talk of other matters first. How did you come to be waiting inside the mirror? I thought you would be elsewhere. I am there, and also inside the mirror, unfortunately for you. I have always been here, all along. Ah. I suppose my little distraction was for naught, then. And the rage of Albus Dumbledore was no longer leashed. Distraction? Roared Dumbledore, his sapphire eyes tight with fury. You killed Master Flamel for a distraction? Professor Quirrell looked dismayed. I am wounded by the injustice of your accusation. I did not kill the one you know as Flamel. I simply commanded another to do so. How could you? Even you! How could you? He was the library of all of our lore. Secrets you have forever lost to wizardry. There was an edge to Professor Quirrell's smile now. You know, I still do not comprehend how your twisted mind can consider it acceptable for Flamel to be immortal. But when I try for the same, it makes me a monster. Master Flamel never descended into immortality. He, he only stayed awake past his evening for our sake, through his long, long day. I don't know if you recall this, but do you recall that day in your office with Tom Riddle? The one where I begged you, where I went down on my knees and begged you to introduce me to Nicholas Flamel so that I could ask to become his apprentice, to some day make for myself the Philosopher's Stone? That was my last attempt to be a good person, 
if you are curious. You told me no, and gave me a lecture on how unvirtuous it was to be afraid of death. I went from your office in bitterness and in fury. I reasoned that if I was to be called evil in any case, just for not wanting to die, then I might as well be evil. And one month later, I killed Abigail Myrtle to pursue immortality by other means. Even when I knew more of Flamel, I remained quite put out by your hypocrisy, and for that reason I tormented you and yours more than I otherwise would have done. I have often felt that you ought to know this, but we never had a chance to talk frankly. I decline, said Albus Dumbledore, whose gaze did not waver. I do not accept the teeniest shred of responsibility for what you have become. That was all, entirely, you and your own decisions. I am not surprised to hear you say that. Well... Now I am curious as to what responsibilities you do accept. You have access to some unusual power of divination. That much I deduced long ago. You made too many nonsensical moves, and the paths by which they worked out in your favor were too ridiculous. So tell me, were you forewarned of the result that night of All Hallows' Eve when I was vanquished for a time? I knew said Albus Dumbledore, his voice low and cold. For that I accept responsibility, which is something you will never understand. You arranged for Severus Snape to hear the prophecy that he brought to me. I allowed it to happen. And there I was, all excited at having finally gained my own foreknowledge. Professor Quirrell shook his head as though in sadness. So the great hero Dumbledore sacrificed his unwitting pawns, Lily and James Potter, merely to banish me for a few years. Albus Dumbledore's eyes were like stones. James and Lily would have gone willingly to their death if they had known. And the little baby... Somehow I doubt the Potters would have been so eager to leave him in the path of you-know-who. You could scarcely see the flinch. The boy who lived came out of it well enough. Tried to turn him into you, did you? Instead, you turned yourself into a corpse, and Harry Potter became the wizard you should have been. Now there was something like the usual Dumbledore behind the half-moon glasses, a tiny twinkle in those eyes. All of Tom Riddle's icy brilliance, Tamed to the service of James and Lily's warmth and love. I wonder how you felt when you saw what Tom Riddle could have become if he had grown up in a loving family. Professor Quirrell's lips quirked. I was surprised, even shocked, by the abyssal depths of Mr. Potter's naivete. I suppose the humor of the situation would be lost on you. It was then, finally, that Albus Dumbledore smiled. How I laughed when I realized it, when I saw you had made a good Voldemort to oppose the evil one. Ah, how I laughed! I never had the steel for my role, but Harry Potter shall be more than equal to it when he comes into his power. Albus Dumbledore's smile disappeared. 
though I suppose Harry shall have to find some other Dark Lord to vanquish for it, since you will not be there. Ah, yes, that. Professor Quirrell made to walk away from the mirror, and seemed to halt just before reaching the point where the mirror would no longer have reflected him if it had been reflecting him. Interesting. Dumbledore's smile was colder now. No, Tom, you are not going anywhere. Professor Quirrell nodded. What have you done, exactly? You have refused death, and if I destroyed your body, your spirit would only wander back, like a dumb animal that cannot understand its being sent away. So I am sending you outside time, to a frozen instant from which neither I nor any other can return you. Perhaps Harry Potter will be able to retrieve you some day, if prophecy speaks true. He may wish to discuss with you just who is at fault for the death of his parents. For you it will only be an instant, if you ever return at all. Either way, Tom, I wish you the best of it. Hmm. The defense professor had paced past where Harry stood, watching Mute with something like horror, only to halt again at the other edge of the mirror. As I suspected. You are using Merlin's old method of sealing, what the tale of Tophereus Chang names as the process of the timeless. If legend speaks true, not even you can stop the process, now that it has been in motion this long. Indeed. But Albus's eyes were suddenly wary, and Harry, from where he stood just before and to the right of the door, waiting in silence and controlled terror, could feel it in the air. He could feel the sense of a presence gathering within the mirror's field. Something more alien than magic. Everything about it incomprehensible, except for the fact of its strangeness and the fact of its power. It had been slow, but now it was waxing faster, that presence. But you could still reverse the effect if Chang's account is true. Most powers of the mirror are double-sided, according to legend. So you could banish what is on the other side of the mirror instead. Send yourself, instead of me, into that frozen instant. If you wanted to, that is. And why would I do that? I suppose you are going to tell me that you have taken hostages? That was futile, Tom. You fool! You utter fool! You should have known that I would give you nothing for any hostages you had taken. You were always one step too slow. Allow me to introduce you to my hostage. Another presence invaded the air around Harry, a crawling sensation all over his flesh as another Tom Riddle's magic passed very close to his skin. The cloak of invisibility was torn away from him, and the shimmering black cloak flew from him through the air. Professor Quirrell caught it and swiftly drew it over himself. In less than a second, he had pulled down the cloak's hood over his head and disappeared. Albus Dumbledore staggered, as though some essential support had been removed from him. Harry Potter, what are you doing here? Harry stared at the image of Albus Dumbledore, on whose face utter shock and utter dismay were warring. The guilt and the shame were too much too much, hitting Harry all at once. 
and he could feel the incomprehensible presence around him rising to a peak. Harry knew without words that there was no time left, and that he was done. It's my fault, Harry said in a tiny voice, from whatever part of him had taken over his throat in the final extremity. I was stupid. I've always been stupid. You mustn't rescue me. Goodbye. Why, look at that, sang out Professor Curl's voice from the empty air. I don't seem to have a reflection anymore. No, 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 no! Into the hand of Albus Dumbledore flew from his sleeve his long, dark gray wand, and in his other hand, as though from nowhere, appeared a short rod of dark stone. Albus Dumbledore threw these both violently aside, just as the building sense of power rose to an unbearable peak, and then disappeared. The mirror returned to showing the ordinary reflection of a gold-lit room of white stone, without any trace of where Albus Dumbledore had been. End Chapter 110 Thank you to the following people. Dumbledore, Drake Walker. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. The music used is The Fall by Ministry. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for Chapter 111, Failure, Part 1. <laughs>